What the If is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. And thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If. Crispy, crispy chicken edition. Oh my god. <laughs> chicken fried steak. <laughs> uh, that's just a tease. And I know you're teased by that, crispy chicken. Um, coming up in just a moment, Matt Stanley, our uh, erstwhile uh, fearless leader, um, Professor Matthew Stanley of New York University, is a historian of science and is on assignment this week, attending to another emergency somewhere in the history timeline of science. And uh, we look forward to hearing or not hearing what he did. Um, if your life appears to be continuing as normal, then so far he's been successful. But with us is uh, our co-fearless leader um, from Rockefeller University, virologist Gabby Panicia. How are you? I am good. I uh, I discovered a truly, truly terrible thing yesterday. Or oh, at no. least, you know, sci- scientists, one of our things is powers of observation, right? Uh-huh. We, we, we notice things and we tend to notice, you know, humans already are pattern recognition machines. Yes. I discovered a pattern in my life that sucks. Uh, you know what the pattern is, Phil? Yes. My bedtime and my cat's poop time are perfectly calibrated <laughs> such that every time I'm about to go to bed, yeah. this animal takes the stinkiest poop <laughs> I have ever... I had to delay my bedtime like by half an hour yesterday just to yes. air out the room. So oh if I'm God. not completely with it, please blame <laughs> Munchkin and the fact that we get her that, you know, like real salmon food because, uh, yeah. God dang it, mm, there's a stank. Wow. Wow. The cycles of life. Cycles of life. I can recommend... Really, really uh, timed... Dr. Elsie's... Uh, Super litter, cat litter, or something like that. Very good. For we we don't have the super, but maybe yeah. I should be upgrading to whatever their super <laughs> is. Or not live in a one-bedroom apartment, 50-50, right, right, you know? Right, right, right. Meanwhile, all the cats who are listening are like, wow, there's some haute cuisine happening down there at uh, Rockefeller. <laughs> we need to get there. Um, well, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm sorry to hear that. Um it, that's a battle between the species, which is something we are. Uh, it, of, it is the topic today of a sort. Um, we are uh, ripping another story from the headlines, or screenshotting it from the headlines, as one might do these <laughs> days. And uh, um, we are. What we well, Gabby, what do, what do we do here? What what is this for somebody who just stumbled in and they're like, I've learned about. Cat poo and fine salmon so far. But yeah. what, is, what is going on with this program? Yeah, so besides our casual conversations about cat poo, uh, what we actually do is that every week we pick a sort of what-if situation. Uh, one thing that we can change about our universe, that's sort of our if. Yeah, And we explore that, we follow the ramifications of it out as far as we possibly can, tend to break society or the universe as we know it, uh, and then, you know, somewhere along the way, some real science falls out. That's right. It falls out. 
So that's why you need to wear protective gear, uh, including hardened shoes and uh, elbow pads and things like that for the science that falls out. But the science that falls out is good stuff. Um, we are uh, ripping and screenshotting the uh, headline from the New York Times. Um, this is uh, from a little while ago, it's about a month ago. It's from October 10th. And, uh, oh, excuse me. Well, I banged my coffee cup against the microphone. Um, New York Times headline uh, from the science section, my favorite part of the Times, uh, is scientists use CRISPR to make chickens more resistant to bird flu. The subheading, a new study highlights both the promise and the limitations of gene editing as a highly lethal form of avian influenza continues to spread around the world. This is an article by uh, Emily and Titties, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, and it has a sad picture of um, what look like six or eight, um, depending on how wide your uh, browser window is set, <laughs> uh, little chicken coops or like little little chicken pods. And there's one, is that, uh, what do we call that, a rooster or just a chicken? This is how little I know about farm animals. Uh, um, I think that's just a chicken. Just a chicken. It has like a little red hat. Maybe, I don't know. I also am not a chicken keeper. I like chickens, but... Yeah, chickens are wonderful. And uh, um, so, but, but there's all these empty chicken pods, except for one, and there's one chicken, and he's looking out. And, uh, but he had, the, uh, he had the good fortune to be photographed by Getty Images and have his face plastered on newspapers around the world. And Emily Entities, the uh, reporter, writes, scientists have used the gene-editing technology known as CRISPR that's C-R-I-S-P-R acronym, to create chickens that have some resistance to avian influenza, according to a new study that was published in the journal Nature Communications on Tuesday. And I know, Gabby, you'll bring us up to date on the actual study. Um, well, us mere lay people read the uh, popular news. The study suggests that genetic engineering could potentially be one tool for reducing the toll of bird flu a group of viruses that pose grave dangers to both animals and humans. But the study also highlights the limitations and potential risks of the approach, uh, scientists said. Some breakthrough infections still occurred, especially when gene-edited chickens were exposed to very high doses of the virus, the researchers found. And when the scientists edited just one chicken gene, it sucks when you just get one chicken gene. You know, I, I like to get at least like a... You want a medley of yeah, like at least jeans. six chicken wings. You know, chicken wings, <laughs> chicken jeans. <laughs> Can't help it with the hot mustard. Mm. The virus quickly adapted. The findings suggest that creating flu-resistant chickens will require editing multiple genes, and that scientists will need to proceed carefully to avoid driving further evolution of the virus. Um, and uh, I'll just jump down here. Just one last quote. Uh, there's no such thing as an easy button for influenza, Dr. Cardona said. It replicates quickly, and it adapts quickly. So, uh, we, we twist these into ifs. So, first, first you, uh, Gabby, will help us understand what's going on here in the real world. Um, but our if, what were you imagining, Gabby, is 
we're, we're getting, we have to ask the universe a particular question. The show is called What the If, and so our, the entire the entire um, existence of the podcast hinges on whether we can come up with a a spell, as it were, a question to ask. Uh, without the right question, we yeah. can't solve the right answer. So, what do you think? I mean, I say we we kind of dial this up to eleven in an inherently fantastical way that, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. as we get into it, we're going to discover is not at all how it works. Uh, <laughs> but what if we just say we can, you know, use CRISPR to give us resistance to every disease? Yes, yeah, that sounds good. And so people should don their protective gear. What's the uh, what's the safety protocols? Um, Gabby will now demonstrate. Gabby will now stand at the the top of the aisle and demonstrate for the passengers. Please pay attention. Yeah, uh, Don, whatever protective gear you think appropriate, your helmets, your masks, your gloves, <laughs> Phil's favorite, the papper, yeah. which is a fan belt for <laughs> BSL-3 work. Yeah. Um, yeah, brace yourselves. Brace yourself. It's fantastic. As we ask, what the if? We became masters of the CRISPR and annihilated all diseases. Is that it? Is that the proper? Yes, I mean, just about, right? Yes. CRISPR in your hands. So, uh, and first question is, is it, is it, we're going to annihilate all disease, or is it only viruses? We're, we're there... going to be, well, I don't think it's going to necessarily make a difference, because either way, it's going to be impossible. Okay. Um, but okay. we can say, you know, to engineer resi- like our resistance to every disease, much right. like they do with them. So we're not destroying every disease so much as we're preventing ourselves from getting infected by it. Right. For some diseases, that may eradicate them, but we can sort of touch on that down the road, okay. I think. Okay, okay. So I was just curious about the word disease. Does, does, does like our diseases? I'm using it in its broadest possible sense. Right. Okay. To, Fantastic. To eventually get into why that's maybe you know super hard, and yeah. why you know disease is something that we talk about uh, sort of generally without realizing exactly how crazily nuanced it is. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So CRISPR. Well, yeah. Be, where where would you like to begin? in sort of helping us yeah, come I, aboard. I, yeah. I agree with you. Let's start with CRISPR. Yeah. What is it? CRISPR. So if, can I look, can CRISPR, I hold a CRISPR in my uh, CRISPR device in my hand or is it like a room sized thing? Uh, I mean, it's kind of neither. Mm-hmm. Um, so CRISPR is actually an acronym, but it sort of doesn't really matter what it stands for because it's kind of, it has become the name of a tool, a methodology. Mm. And so CRISPR systems were found in bacteria. They're essentially a way that bacteria, it's sort of like a a molecular mechanism, a system of RNA and protein that guide bacteria to target viruses, essentially. They're a bacterial immune system, you could sort of say. A way for them to protect themselves against viruses. Because, you know, when you're a little bacterium, uh, and you're combating a virus, you're essentially fighting on the level of like, you know, DNA and what is what genetic material is actually getting transcribed and turned into protein. Uh, and so the the CRISPR system is a way to essentially selectively and specifically target um, se- certain sequences. What we realized is that, well, yeah, this is great for bacteria to protect themselves from viruses. 
But this is also a really, really selective way to specifically target certain genes. And so to create really, really precise knockouts, alterations of genes. And so to kind of give you an overview of what CRISPR actually sort of does is imagine you have a sequence of DNA um, and then you have a guide RNA is sort of the name of it. It's a little molecule of RNA that is complementary to that sort of the, a target sequence within that strand of DNA. Right. Um, so, so just if, we were, if people can make a picture in their mind, so DNA, a, a long strand of, of two twisted, two twisted strands together. Yeah, you don't even have to think about it twisted. Just think of like uh, two parallel lines, right? Oh, I think okay. of like, you know, like, or like there's, and then like in that sequence, there's something that you want to take out. Like, uh -huh. you know, in a sentence, you're getting rid of the word cat. Uh, the guide RNA matches that target sequence. It will bind to it. So essentially like you have a guide RNA that says, look for the word cat. Right. So then right. that finds it. And then once that's bound to the DNA, it recruits this enzyme Cas9. That's why you hear CRISPR-Cas9. Cas9 is the actual like protein that's doing the editing. It will bind to the guide RNA and the DNA at that target site, and then it's going to cut the DNA. And so what happens when it cuts it is that both well, the body will repair it. But repairing the like double-strand breaks that it makes is kind of a very error-prone process. And you can sort of mess up that process further by cutting sometimes like multiple places close by. And so with that, what you can do is by introducing mutations there, you can create what's called a frame shifting mutation, which Whoa. ends the protein Whoa. early. So essentially frame shifts, uh, if you're not, if it's been a while since your basic genetics, um, yes. every three letters of DNA code for an amino acid but they code in a very specific frame because if you started reading, well, one away, then all of a sudden what you're including in your groups of three changed dramatically. Um, and so what happens about that is that, you know, in the frame that's supposed to be read, there's usually not any stop signals before there's time. But if you shift immediately outside of that, yeah, you're going to get tons of these like little stop messages because that's not how it's supposed to be read. Um, so so essentially by forcing it to skip and change the frame, you force it to stop early, and that can stop you know that protein from being made. Right. So let's see a couple of questions. One, the, when you say the guide RNA, um, is that like I'm imagining if if we were watching an animation um, of this process, the guide. So and you imagine we have the two parallel strands of DNA, and those two parallel mm -hmm. strands are connected right by it's almost like a long ladder, right? So they're connected by. Uh, so the thing is, they're not actually connected to each other like. Ah. physically per se ah. so they're they're in they're in conjunction with each other because there are some uh, like attractive bonds between the backbones of ah. the the DNA but they're not so the chemistry term is like covalently linked they're not physically molecularly bound together those ladders uh -huh. are not physically actually connected together ah. there's two molecules that abut each other and they're specifically held together close to each other because they're sort of like complementary. Um, imagine like, um, it, it's sort of more like if you put your fingers like really close together, but you don't actually have them touch, mm -hmm. that's sort of more like it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. They're not actually like interlaced together. Right. If that makes sense. Right, right. Or and the guide RNA kind of weasels between that sort of gap between your fingers uh. and matches that. So it, it, it doesn't break anything between the lines. Right. It sort of like slips itself in there. 
Wow. And and it itself is what does that also look like its own little piece of DNA or what does it look like? What does the guide RNA look like? Or DNA? Yeah, so I mean RNA is similar to DNA. Yeah. Um, it just has a slightly different backbone structure. And RNAs, too, they're generally... So a guide RNA is single-stranded. So DNA is the two lines that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. RNA is one. Uh, but they tend to form a little bit of what we call secondary structure. So because they're just a single strand, in the same way that DNA is sort of held in the helix by the interactions of the nucleotides, sort of just being in close proximity to each other, Guide RNAs and RNAs in general will sometimes fold back on themselves by interactions with other nucleotides that are in the strand. Uh, so that's what we call secondary structure. And so a guide RNA kind of, you know, has like a little flat bit that's meant to, you know, match with the DNA that's like not, you know, it doesn't have any secondary structure. But then there's a back part of it that does. Uh -huh. uh, and that sort of like back part of it kind of, you could think of it as like forming like an arch or like a triangle. Um, and that is part of how Cas9 like binds to it uh -huh. because it's able to sort of recognize that like back like handle part of it. Interesting. This is amazing. Already worth the price of admission, uh, which is zero. But you know, not if you're on Patreon. Patreon.com/slash What the If. <laughs> Thank you, Patreon supporters, for making this extra valuable as always. Uh, but I say that because my entire life, uh, I'm going to say my entire professional life, but I'm not a scientist. So my entire unprofessional life. I have been lied to by these drawings, which seem to be showing, you know, that the, all the the latter parts of the uh, DNA are connected and like that. Oh. So very cool. It comes in, and then this Cas9 comes in, is it? And then you were saying, okay, so it's imagine like three uh, um, three letter words like the and cat and bat or something like that. And then when you were saying something comes in and changes the framing, are you saying it's sort of as if it, it changed the to, or if it was the period, bat, or the comma, bat, comma, cat, comma, right? It's this long list of things. You're saying yeah, it would so be TH, comma? Somehow no, it, it's the other way. Oh. So if it's, it, so say you delete the E uh -huh. in, in the, right? Yeah you still have what needs to be grouped in groups of three, right? Mm -hmm. no, matter the, no matter what, whoever's reading it is still going to group it in groups of three, but you've just dropped the E. Now that means your group is going to be, if it's the cat and bat, uh -huh. it's going to be THC, period, ATB, period, AT, and then nothing. Does that make sense? It scrambles the message. Oh, totally scrambled. Yeah. So it, it shifts it. Yeah. And what happens essentially because of that is that eventually you run into, you know, because it's all nonsense now, you, right. you kind of run into an eventual stop uh, signal that's in there, that's accidentally in there. Right. Yeah. Essentially, you, your decoder ring is broken. It's not working. Mm -hmm. um, right. Okay. So we, so humans have figured out how to do this intentionally to prevent um, uh, viruses from hijacking this, to, from getting in there and manufacturing yeah. their so own the way, needs. Yeah. The way that we're doing this, though, is not the way that CRISPR was, eventually, was originally uh -huh. discovered in bacteria. So CRISPR systems in bacteria, like I said, were in antiviral defense. But we're not, when, when they're talking about engineering resistant chickens, they're not like putting CRISPR in there and they're like, fight off viruses, no. <laughs> um, what they're doing is actually they're knocking out things that we call like host factors. So... A virus has a complex set of things that it needs, right? 
viruses run pretty bare bones. They will bring only what genes they need to do what they need to do. And a lot of times that means that they also kind of steal some host genes that they need um, in order to get other things done around the cell. So there's a network of not only proteins in a host that combat the virus, there are sometimes host proteins that the virus needs just to continue to do its functions. So what they did is they targeted one of those host proteins in chickens, something that flu needs in order to establish what we call a productive infection to make more flu. But is the host so is the chicken they, the host or the flu the host? The is chicken is the host. Okay. Yeah. So they are they altered one of the chicken's proteins. Uh. They got rid of it and found that, you know, the virus couldn't really replicate in them. Now, granted, flu is slippery, so of course it found some other way to do what it needed to get done and quickly changed. Wow. Uh, wow. But the idea there is that if you get rid of proteins that the virus needs in order to replicate, you stop the virus from being able to replicate in a certain host. Right. And right. in this case, chickens. And can we do they this can. with people? So, this is an interesting one. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that really, really unethical experiment that happened with the, the guy who CRISPR engineered like two twins in China? No. <laughs> yeah, so this was context. Yeah. There is a blanket ban on this. We are not doing this to children. Like, this is, like, a universally agreed upon, uh, like, scientific ethics. And, like, m I think, like, there's even, like, a treaty that, like, multiple nations signed. Um, and this guy went and did it anyway, very secretly. He, the, and then he, just sort of... It's banned because it's not perfected yet? or Yeah. And it's also one of these things, too, right? Where, like, well, what are you editing for? Like, like... Uh. It's it opens up a, a a pretty wide door of like eugenics, et cetera. Like, how much should we be tampering with human genes? And, and especially too, right? Where there's so there's two different types of editing that you can do, right? The chickens in this experiment and then in this study, I believe, were were edited off of like germline cells. Essentially, what this means is that I actually don't know. Um, this is me actually making an assumption. I'd have to read the paper again. Um, but sort of two two different ways that you can do this. You can do editing from the germline. So essentially, an entire organism has this mutation, this change, mm -hmm. and it will be inherited by all of their children. Mm -hmm. Or you can do sort of somatic editing. Essentially, that is editing only on mature cells. So that's the kind of editing that you actually see with the sickle cell therapies that are getting approved. Those are also CRISPR-Cas9 therapies, but what they're doing is they're only editing specific cells to fix the sickle cell problem. And then, you know, those cells don't get passed on to the next generation. They're not sperm or egg cells. Um, so that mutation doesn't, you know, and anything that may have happened from that is not going to be inherited for generations and generations. Ah. So we are using it yeah. on people. So that's for people, the sickle cell. We, yeah, yeah, we've used, so we can use CRISPR on people, but not like, not from the whole base like like we're not doing it whole organism we're doing it very very small ways and very controlled for genetic disorders okay. uh but the guy who did the unethical experiments uh on like actual people uh did it on embryos and they've actually got to be about four-year-old children right now no idea anything about them um but he did it actually to like remove some 
receptor or something that's like associated with HIV in theory to make people who are more resistant to HIV. But it was also like, if you read his methodology, it's like not good. Yeah. Like not only did he do like mad science, he did bad science. <laughs> so it's like a really like bad, it was like one of these things where I was like, yeah, that's not going to make people resistant to HIV. Like why? Well, yeah, yeah. It, it's, yeah, it was one of these things. I'm still angry about it in case you can't tell. <laughs> um, so the TLDR is like, yes, to some extent we are doing CRISPR genetic therapies on people, but not really to, to more fixed diseases than th that they currently have. Right. Rather than do something protective of future disease. Right. But now our fanciful if here is what? How? Essentially that we are. Yeah. We're, we're, I, I suppose we're continuing to do our super unethical uh, <laughs> experiments, like that one guy who got disappeared. Um, he got disappeared? My understanding, yeah. The scientist who did this with the twins? Or somebody yeah. else? Oh. I, don't, I actually don't think it was twins. I think it was like two separate embryos. But yeah, uh -huh, uh -huh. yeah he got like, mad disappeared. Mad <laughs> disappeared. And the only thing worse than being mad disappeared is being bad disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> you might have been bad disappeared. <laughs> so, so we got. Uh, so let's let's say we're we're in the laboratory now, and you've you've got this CRISPR, and the CRISPR is doing what your fantasy thought experiment, uh, what it can do. So, what what is it you're able to do now in this uh, fantasy world with this mad CRISPR power? Yeah. So here's where sort of the interesting thing is, right? So I said disease. And I'm at, oh. like, any sort of kind of thing, right? Yeah. Right now, we use CRISPR for genetic diseases because those are pretty simple to edit, right? Like, you can fix the gene that's a problem. You don't just kind of knock out something willy-nilly. You can make a sort of corrected version of the gene that might be aberrant. So, for example, if, if the gene encodes for a protein that doesn't work, you edit it so that it encodes for the protein that does work. Things like that. Yeah. Um, those are pretty like straightforward to do. The idea of editing you to prevent a disease gets crazy because how do you, I mentioned that, you know, viruses need host proteins and that viruses also have, there are also proteins from an organism that are designed to attack the virus or bacteria or whatever. The sneaky thing about pathogens, like, you know, bacteria, viruses, parasites, Sometimes they can co-opt the genes that are meant to kill them in order to help them. Ha ha. Genius. Evil genius. Yes. Yeah. Genius. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> um, oh, yeah. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> so sometimes by knocking out one gene that you're like, oh, this virus needs this gene, you could be crippling the ability to fight a different pathogen. Oh. Yeah. So, for example, I think... I hope this is correct, but um, if I remember correctly, there's a thought that, um, so there's there's something called heterozygote. I'll use a different example than what I was going to use, and I'll use the, the more straightforward one. Um, so the thing with like genes and disease is that like the relationship between what's passed on can be, and a disease that it's like, you know, evolved to deal with can be sort of complicated. So there's something that's called like heterozygote advantage. We're having one copy, so essentially we have two copies of every gene in our body, one from mom, one from dad, um, and 
having one copy of a gene that's oh, that you know is considered like bad is actually can be good for you. Having both copies of that bad gene is really bad, and having no copies of the bad gene is like fine. Uh, but there's a way in which weirdly, like the the person that has one copy of the bad gene could be more fit in a specific scenario. Hmm. So the classical case of this is sickle cell anemia, which I mentioned as something that's being treated as a disease. So essentially what sickle cell does is it kind of changes the shape of your red blood cells. Uh, so red blood cells are sort of really nice, normally round, kind of disc-shaped cells. And sickle cell, they're shaped kind of like sickles. They're shaped like half moons. And so if you only have sickle cell genes, all of your blood cells are sort of not really, you know, they don't move as well through your veins. They can get stuck. Um, so a common complication of sickle cell stroke. Um, but if you have one copy, you produce some of those sickle cell red blood cells and some regular ones. And it turns out that producing some of those sickle-shaped ones is actually really good against malaria. Huh. So people who carry one copy of the sickle cell gene are a bit more resistant to malaria than people who don't wow. carry any copies of it. Um, but if you have both, that's not great. So it is kind of funny when we talk about disease, right, where here we are editing uh, a disease out, essentially uh, with being homozygous for the sickle cell gene. If you have both bad copies, we're editing that out. But yeah. having one bad copy is actually really good for you. Um, so it becomes like this weird dilemma of like, what do we actually do when it comes to disease? We're going to have to kind of pick whatever we think is maybe our, the currently worst disease that we don't want anybody to get or that we want to maybe kill off and hope that nothing new rears its ugly head that can super take advantage of what we've just knocked out, I think. Yeah. It's like whack-a-mole. whack a whack a Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's also too, oh, go ahead, Phil. No, I was going to say, it, I could imagine, and this may be going off too far, but uh, the AI doing things like being able to figure out, you know, some comp, being able to figure out what is the absolute best, what is the optimal um, thing to do. When you have this situation where you have all, a zillion diseases, all of them use all these different ways of uh, uh, attacking your body, and that, you know, some AI could figure out, okay, this is the optimal thing to do um, to solve this problem? Is it that kind of thing? You sort of have to, like a puzzle. And see, here's the thing. Yeah. I don't think there's ever going to be ever any solution to this. Oh, wow. Because the thing about pathogens is that they're slippery. Mm -hmm. And I think that as long as we're going to be people, there's going to be diseases. And sort of too, right? Like you never know what biology is complex. That shouldn't be a radical statement, but the the molecular world is infinitely more complicated than we sort of teach about in like school and basic bio. Yeah. Um, and I sort of wish like we did a better job of explaining how much like if you take out one thing, mm -hmm. it can be a house of cards and you get like whole like domino effects just because there's like one thing missing. Yeah. And so... Sure, you can figure out what the maybe only two or three things are that will affect the most number of pathogens. But what does that do to a person? Mm. Like you may realize that, you know, creating an entire person with those things knocked out is actually not really good for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, in theory, I'm sure somebody could make an AI, you know, and then they're like, my AI solved this problem. Right. And yeah. then, you know, the biologist would look at it and be like, you idiot. <laughs> um, 
This is really common. Actually, it's kind of funny. Uh, a lot of like, I don't want to say a lot of computational people. There's a specific type of like modeler kind of scientist who thinks that like everything can be modeled and that everything boils down to math. And then they get really, really pissed when they come to biology thinking that they're going to like solve all of our problems. And then they find out that biology is wet and that <laughs> our, like that we have like intrinsic variability and it's like, there's so much weird stuff that happens in biology where that's kind of just like one part witchcraft, one part nonsense, you know, six parts real science that it does piss off the modelers because they're like, what? Like, yeah. So I, I, I'm sure that somebody will try something like this and I'm sure that they will be generally laughed at as mean, but <laughs> a little overzealous in their claims. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess at least I imagine that testing it in a simulation, say in the computer simulation, is uh, significantly easier and faster, and at least and and less damaging. Like at least they can get, they can work on the problem that way without having to. Uh, well, we, I mean, that's the funny thing, right? We can't really model the human body that well at all. Oh, uh-huh, like, there's so uh-huh. much we don't know that to to be like, oh, we can model this. Right. Right. A lot of like the, I mean, the number of times still that you know, we find something out because something was knocked out in a screen and, or like something else came up in reaction. Mm-hmm. We're like, mm-hmm. oh, we didn't know those two genes were related. Uh, is insane. And think about how many different cell types you have in your body, each one of them sort of running a slightly different script for what they're doing. Yeah. It's, it's ludicrous. Yeah. Yeah, it's more, it, it sounds, it's more like trying to model, which we do in crude, crude ways, but like model a civilization, you know, with billions of, people doing billions of different things, living in an environment yeah, and that keeps changing and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And there's always going to be something that you can't account for. Yeah. You're like, oh my God, our, our, our models didn't account for Czechoslovakia, you know, discovering time travel. That's right. And that, <laughs> That's there's a good one, enough things that will do that. <laughs> I like the specificity of that. It's Czechoslovakia that discovers time travel. Okay, Matt, Matt will, will know actually what, maybe that's actually what Matt's combating today. Yeah. Could be. They discovered time travel, and that's that's what he's yeah. he's battling today. It is a specific cult- historical cultural context. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, uh, you are now you you are now leading the project. You have the super CRISPR in hand, and what does the world look like now that you've 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 actually been successful at these things that um, were previously yeah. considered impossible? So I like. I'll start with like let's say we targeted a very very specific disease, mm-hmm. and we we like there was some specific disease that human beings all agreed let's get this done with. Right, the cold, um, the, the common cold. Uh, I, I was going to say tuberculosis. Okay, <laughs> I, had a, um, I had a low bar. <laughs> I mean, the common cold is actually like a perfectly fine virus. No, no, I, you went more. I, I have more like Bill oh, Gates. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, so human beings have actually. Done, we have a pretty good track record of like if the entirety of every human being on the planet mm-hmm. gets on board with we're going to eliminate a disease, we've actually been okay at doing that. So, for example, uh, smallpox mm-hmm. is eradicated, and then polio is one that we're actually pretty close to mm-hmm. shutting down on. And it's really interesting because polio is a fairly was fairly abundant, um, and. It's an enterovirus, so it's sort of like gut-related, if I remember correctly. And so it, it exists in s- stool samples. So people have a lot of like historic samples ah. that have polio in them. 
And so we have to get rid of all polio in labs because it's being eliminated globally elsewise. So they want to eliminate it from labs as well. Um, but there's so much stuff that people are realizing they're going to have accidental polio scares with because just like there are all these historic samples or like something in a freezer that like is maybe mislabeled, but because it was just around for so long, it's, they had polio. Um, but yeah, we've, we've eliminated diseases in the past. So my thought was going to be figuring out some way to eliminate tuberculosis. Mm -hmm. Uh, TB still affects people. It kills actually a pretty significant number of people every year. Mm. Um, we don't deal with it as much in the States. Um, but TB is one of those things. It's, it's a bacteria. It's pretty persistent is sort of what we say, where it's capable of existing sort of in a quiet state in your body for years and then not really becoming, not really spreading any further. Um, mm. And it's also pretty good at becoming drug resistant. Um, so I think that makes it like a good candidate for us to, in theory, do some human self-CRISPR editing to get rid of. Yeah, yeah. So you do it and you're successful and then you go and you do it. You, in other words, somehow you in this, in this thought experiment, you found the magic bullet or maybe you just found multiple magic bullets to actually use CRISPR to annihilate, to turn off all diseases, right? All viruses. Yeah. So the idea is, is that like, you know, you're not turning off necessarily the virus once it's in, you're preventing it from getting it in the first place. Right, right. So the idea would be if you edit so that now you can't get tuberculosis anymore is that there are people, people who still have it, but then every successive generation is getting less and less susceptible to it. Uh, so that over time, right. really not many people are getting infected with it and you could, you know, essentially crush it. So do we come to a time then when we no longer need to be doing this? Like, or is it that there's always going to be new I imagine there's going to be new diseases cropping up all the time. It's sort of a never-ending. Yeah. So Nature, you know, continues to uh, manufacture them. I figure there's like a two-part race you're running here, right? One race is against uh -huh. the pathogen. Viruses in particular evolve extremely fast. So uh -huh. even in the scope of this one study, when they found that the chickens that didn't get sick, they found chickens that did get sick among the ones that were supposedly, supposedly resistant and from those chickens, the virus was mutated to use different proteins to avoid needing the one that they knocked out. Mm. Um, so are these viruses-wise, I think they're going to be able to run that race. We still also do run the risk of things jumping from other species. Say maybe that gene that we knocked out that makes us resistant now to tuberculosis was the gene that was keeping us from getting uh, some random insect virus. Like, there's a lot of random things that might... Uh, by knocking them out, create you susceptibility to something new that we haven't been before. If we're trying to like specifically yeah. target one disease at a time, over you know thousands and thousands of years, we might slowly you know eliminate two or three. Uh, but I'm of the mindset that maybe it should be one of these things that all right, TB is gone. Let's reset everybody to what we were before, and then figure okay. out what the next uh -huh. one is. Uh, just so that new things don't crop up in the meantime and that we don't end up as some weird genetic house of cards. Because the timescale that we can just knock out genes is not the timescale of evolution and compensating for the knocked out genes, or at least not the timescale yeah. of our evolution. Yeah. Uh, so it's not like we yeah. could evolve to handle the differences that we've made. 
no, we would just have to deal with them. Um, yeah. It's interesting. It basically means that the fight against disease is, is a fight that will never end. You know, it's not like, oh, we'll be done and, and then that's it. It's, it's just, it's just going to be a continual battle because uh, nature is unbelievably ingenious or evolution uh, just continues to mix, mix and match mm-hmm. things uh, to, to, to annoy us, to take our chickens from us. Um, how does this uh, uh, go into the future, whatever distance into the future you think uh, would give you a good overview as to how this story has turned out? How has it, how have you been transformed? How has the world been transformed by this super CRISPR? Um, I mean, I'm on the side of we'd probably all be genetically pretty messed up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But no, it would be sort of interesting, right? What we choose to value as like the disease that we're, we're stopping. So maybe we get rid of all genetic diseases. That's amazing. Um, That would be like, really cool to be able to, you know, solve like metabolic pro- like problems and just like, you know, immediately fix things like that. Um, yeah. In reality, I imagine maybe like a lot of complicated, uh, like every time like a disease, like a new disease rises up, even if it's like a new strain of flu, which there's always like a new strain of flu, everybody panics and gets flu deletion and then flu season ends like it always does. And then something else comes up and then people panic and change this about themselves. So I I sort of wonder about the like fad of that. Um, Mm. And I feel like sometimes too, with people, we like to go for whatever's flashy, not necessarily what's most guaranteed. Uh, So (laughs) I wonder if like something simple like vaccinations will wane because uh, even though the vaccines are incredibly effective, people are maybe like, oh, I can just get it crispered out. This is the new thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And instead just kind of like don't get their their flu shots and then it gets worse. I don't know. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Um, yeah, well, this is a fascinating one. And um, in, the, uh, in the after show, which is, uh, I'm afraid, only for Patreon supporters, I'm going to ask, I'm, I'm curious about how do, how do I get my CRISPR treatment? I don't know exactly what happened. So our Patreon, in, the, in our post-show, it's called The Post Show, um, we do extended episodes just for our Patreon supporters. And so if you are a Patreon supporter, look forward to that. We'll also find out uh, more about uh, what's happening in Gabby's laboratory and other exciting things in her world. Um, in the uh, bonus content, which is for Patreon supporters. If you don't know what Patreon is, go to patreon.com slash what the if and find out. And those of you who are Patreon supporters, thank you for your support. By the way, I want to give a shout out to Bill, our longtime listener and Patreon supporter who sent in a fabulous idea for an upcoming if. Uh, We'll be running with that. If you have ideas for show topics you'd like us to run through, let us know. Go to our website, whattheif.com. And just click on contact and send us your idea. We love hearing all your ideas. Um, so, uh, Gabby, will you now help us um, get get it? I don't know. What do we do? We try to get the universe back in the bottle yeah. again. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, how do we, w- this one has really blown up in our face. So how do we, uh, what do we need to do to restore order? Yeah. Uh, so as we're sort of trying to back away from this world of uh, crisper people, uh, and really confused reactions to disease. We can't help but shout the name of the show. What the is?
Thank you all for listening. I hope you had a crispy time. CRISPR is just one of the great... Uh, we'll also find out in the post show just for Patreon supporters. I'm dying to ask Gabby when they named it that they that they know it sounded funny, and I think they probably did. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>